Hello and welcome to Shouts of Grace with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today we begin part two in Pastor Steve's sermon titled, The God of the Living. It's a very clear and offensive message Jesus relayed to the religious leaders of the day. Please grab your Bible if you're able to follow along and open it to Mark chapter 12 and Matthew 21. Let's get started. Jesus went in during the most busiest time, the Passover, into the temple. And he did this in front of everybody. Do you not think that he tried to convict them personally and privately and say, look, you got to get this, you got to stop this, you got to listen to him. He was working on some of them because Nicodemus went to him by night and said, hey, we know you're a teacher sent by God, for no one can do the things that you do. And Jesus said, marvel not, unless a man's born again, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And he has this interaction with, with, with Nicodemus, who's one of these Pharisees. So he was talking to him on his bed. You don't think he was talking to Caiaphas? You don't think he was talking to Annas? You don't think he was talking to all the Sanhedrin, all those guys? Of course he was. But they wouldn't listen, and they wouldn't listen. So he said, great, let's do this public. Let's do it openly. Because now, what you've been doing in private is going to be spoken out during the busiest time, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to turn over all the tables because it's my house, not yours. If you don't listen to the Lord, if I don't listen to the Lord, you guys, we're going to hurt. It's coming. No one in the history of humanity has ever thumbed their nose at God and just walked away into the sunset. Certainly no believer. Certainly no believer. And you know what? That should prick the heart of all of us, not condemn us, but that should really stir us up inside. If, if you're walking with the Lord and you're sensitive to God, that should stir you up inside to where something goes, okay, Lord, let's take inventory again with my life. You know, let's go home and let's take inventory. What are the things that I've been saying no, no, no to you? That should, but listen, if it doesn't do anything to you, then you know what? Show you believe. If, if, if you say you believe, great. Show you believe. Isn't that what James said? If a man says that he has faith and has not works, can that faith save him? What is he talking about? Is he talking about, you know, you're you're saved by your works? No, he's saying that when a person confesses a salvation, there's a demonstration of it through what comes out of their life. Now, we're not perfect. Who here is perfect? Raise your hand. You better not be. We're not perfect, but you know what? Hear me, look right here, you guys. That saying, I'm not perfect, is not your scapegoat. Let me say that again. That saying, well, nobody's perfect, and I'm not perfect, is not the Christian scapegoat to keep on sinning. And that's what it's become for a lot of people. Well, you know, no one's perfect. You're right, no one is perfect. And then that becomes justification in the heart to keep doing what you're doing. That ain't God. And that's not a believer. God will give mercy and God will give grace. But Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? How God forbid, how can we which are dead to sin live in it any longer? 
There is a transformation that takes place. You're moving in a direction, and it's forward, not backward. They didn't want to hear him. They didn't want to be saved because they chose unbelief. Now here in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is going to transition into a parable that is going to further emphasize the judgment that he's been talking to them about. In Matthew chapter 21, in verse 28, right after Jesus asks about John the Bapt- John, John's baptism, Mark doesn't record this, but I just want to jump into Matthew real quick. In Matthew 21, verse 28, Jesus tells another parable that's right in line with what he's going to share in Mark's gospel, which we're going to look at in a second. And here's the parable. He says to the Pharisees, there were two sons. A man had two sons, and he sent both of them into this vineyard to work. And he asked them, go into the vineyard to work. The first son said he wouldn't go, but he changed his mind and he went. The second son said he would go, but he never did. So you understand what Jesus is inferring here. What he's saying is, look, the first son is like the Gentiles. They don't want to go. They're not going to go. But they repented and they turned towards God. And the second son is like the Jews. They're the ones who said, we'll go but they never went. Jesus in another gospel likens it unto wedding invitations. He said the invitations were sent out and those who were invited said they would come. But then the second invitation was sent out and said, everything's ready, come on, let's go. And one said, I gotta go here. Another said, I gotta go here. And so they said, then go out into the highways and byways and invite whoever will to come in. In other words, you said through Moses, you said through Joshua, you said through the prophets, you would come. You would be a part of this community. You would receive the the Messiah. Well, now it's here, so come. Well, I got to go see, you know, my, my, my father bought some land and blah, 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 blah. And so he just says, you know what? Forget it. Go out into the highways and byways and invite whoever will to come in. So he gives this parable of these two sons. And Jesus asked the Pharisees, which of the two did the will of the father? And they said, the one who changed his mind and went to work. Then Jesus said this, you're right. I tell you the truth, tax collectors and prostitutes will go into heaven before you. Understand who he's talking to. These are the church folk. (laughs) These are the religious folk. These ain't just the church folk. These are the pastors. These are the leaders. And he tells them, the sons of Abraham, the ones who earlier in John chapter 8 were discussing with him, we're the children of Abraham, man. What are you talking about? And Jesus says, you're of your father, the devil. This is those guys. And he says, the tax collectors and prostitutes will go into heaven before you self-righteous people. And it says they were indignant. They were furious. So, caring so immensely about their feelings, Jesus grabs the can of gasoline now in Mark 12, and he throws it on the fire by telling them another parable. Now, You guys, parables, some of you know, were stories that were meant to highlight um, or to hide spiritual truths from people who didn't believe, but they were revealed to people who did believe, right? Also, most parables were given to illustrate gospel principles or truths and kingdom principles. This one that Jesus tells them didn't either, okay? It didn't highlight gospel principles, and it wasn't hidden from them. It was meant for them to understand, and they 
understood it. It was a parable that was not about the gospel. It was not about the kingdom. A lot of parables will say the kingdom of heaven is like, right? And then it would paint a truth. This was strictly about judgment, their judgment. And it's a riveting parable. It it, it draws the crowd in and it provokes this emotional response to the injustice that's described in it. And then there's a plot twist in the end as the listener realizes the story is about them. So let's read Mark chapter 12, verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and he built a tower and he leased it to tenants and he went into another and he went into another far country when the season came he sent a servant to the tenants to get to get them some of the fr- to get some of the fruit from the vineyard verse 3 and they took him and they beat him and they sent him away empty handed again he sent another servant and they struck him on the head and they treated him shamefully and he sent another And him they killed, and so many others he sent. Some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one more, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will surely respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. When Matthew gives his account in chapter 21, verse 40, he adds a couple things. Listen. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? Now they answer, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the corner. The Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes. Verse 43, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people to produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone whom it falls will be crushed or ground to powder. To understand, you guys, what Jesus is saying here, he's referencing something that I want to read to you. He's taking the Old Testament, which they knew. They knew Isaiah 5, and he takes Isaiah 5, pulls it, and he lays it over everything he says. Here is what Isaiah 5, verse 1 through 7 says. It describes the parable. Listen, all the Jews knew this. I will sing the one, a love love song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and he cleared it of stones and he planted it with the choicest of vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judea, 
Judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted. In and he looked for justice, but found bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. You guys, Jesus essentially puts Isaiah 5 in the parable to communicate that the same judgment that happened to them when Babylon came in and crushed them is coming again. It's coming again in just 40 years. It's coming again. In Jesus' parable, as in Isaiah 5, the vineyard is Israel, right? The man who plants the vineyard is God. The fence that was built along with the tower was God's care for them. He, he built them as a nation. He, he took care of the people around them. He put them in a land. The servants that were beaten were the prophets that God sent to them, one after another after another, and they killed them and they beat them. The prophets that were calling the nation to repentance. Read the book of the 12 or the minor prophets. Read Isaiah, read Jeremiah. Jeremiah constantly was telling them to repent. He went into the house of God in Jeremiah 7 and said, come on, man, stop doing this stuff. And what did they do? They hit him, they beat him, they threw him in a mud. God sent them one after another. And finally, when they'd rejected all the prophets, even, listen, the last one of the Old Testament, John the Baptist, when they had rejected them all, surely they'll receive my son. I got one more to send them, my son. And Jesus in the parable tells them what they're going to do. But they took the son and they beat him and they killed him. He's talking to them, saying, this is my future. This is what you're going to do to me. The point of the parable is God came looking for fruit. God came looking for fruit, brothers and sisters. Doesn't God have the right to come to the people of faith who say they believe in him? Doesn't he have the right to have a return of some fruit? Doesn't he? Because that's what he came to Israel for. Where's the fruit? But all they did was reject him. There wasn't any. He said, I looked for it. Man, I searched for it. And there wasn't anything there. But they said, we believe. We believe. Joshua, Moses made a covenant with him. Yes, we'll do it. With with being on, in, in a valley with the cursings and blessings on each side of the hill. Yes, we will obey God. Joshua, at the end of Joshua, the same thing. Yes, we will obey God. They agreed. They had a profession of faith, but there wasn't anything there. So what's more important in God's eyes? The profession or the evidence? You be the judge. The profession or the evidence. Instead, they killed his messengers. Jesus confronted them 
In Matthew 23, verse 29, what do you scribes and Pharisees, you teachers of the law, you hypocrites, you build the tombs of the prophets, you adorn the monuments and the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we were alive during that day, we would have never done what our fathers have done. Jesus said, you hypocrites, you testify against yourself, so fill up the measure of what you already started. In other words, just finish the deed, man. Because there's one here that's greater than all the prophets, and you want to kill him. But we would have never hurt the prophets of old. But you want to kill the one that's greatest of all prophets. So go ahead and fill up your measure, man. Do what you've come to do. You don't believe. You don't believe. We're children of Abraham. So what? Not all of Israel is Israel, Scripture says. And not every Christian amongst the quote-unquote church is a Christian. Well, brother, you seem to be a little harsh. You know what? Dear Lord, the church needs to hear this. We are crumbling as a people. And it's people that are naming the name of Christ that are at each other as much as anybody else. How can that be? Because not all of Israel is Israel. And not all the church is of the church. I can care less about a person's PhD. I don't give a rip about their PhD or the number of letters that they have behind their name or how many classes they're teaching and how many, you know, I'm teaching this class and I've got theological theology, 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 boom. Great, you know a lot. Man, are you on your face before the living God and are you apologizing every day for the wretched sinner you are and understanding that it is by the grace of God, there go you. That is it. That is what you need. And that's the great equalizer. That takes the, the professor and, 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 and the lowest product of, of society and brings him on equal ground. It's a humility. We all connect with God at the same point. It's a humility. And they wouldn't listen. And there was nothing to validate their belief. Well, what was the specific fruit that God was looking for? And we'll close with this. What was the specific fruit? Right, is God looking for me to be, to be you know, a, a, a gospel sharer? Okay, is, is God looking for me to, to, to give and to be okay? Is God looking for me to be holy and pure? Okay, is there a specific fruit that encompasses all of that? When Matthew records his account of the same parable, we're told that when Jesus asked the religious leaders what should be done to those people in the story, they said, well, the wretches should be met with a wretched end, and, and, and what's given to them should be taken away from them and given to a people that will produce the fruit. And Jesus replied, and he said, great, the kingdom of God's going to be taken away from you and given to a people just like that. It's being taken from you. It's going to be given to the Gentiles. It's going to be taken from you because you judge yourself to be unworthy of eternal life. Then Jesus says this. Right after he says, it's going to be taken from you and given to someone else, he says, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but anyone to whom the stone falls will crush or grind them to powder. What was the fruit God was looking for? Brokenness. He was looking for brokenness. Do you know why? Because brokenness 
you guys, breaks the, the chains of unbelief. Unbelief, you guys, protects people from humility. It keeps you in a place of pride and arrogance. It's everyone else's fault. It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. But you know what humbleness does? You know what humility does? It walks you to the foot of Christ. It walks everybody in unison, the same low place. And do you know what comes out of brokenness? Everything. Everything. What comes out of brokenness in my relationships? A humility when I interact with my wife, when I'm just realizing, okay, look, I don't necessarily agree, but man, I'm a sinner and I'm self-deceived and I don't know where I'm right and where I'm wrong. It's a brokenness rather than this. It ain't me. Come on. It's not so with believers. Do you know what comes out of a brokenness? When it comes to how we relate to people or our holiness, you know, well, you know, gosh, I'm just really struggling with this right now. And, and, and it's like, you know what comes out of a brokenness? God, forgive me. Please forgive me. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to think this again. It all starts on your knees. That was the fruit God was looking for from the nation of Israel. I did everything for you. Just humble yourself before me. Why do you think the Bible is replete with constant encouragement? Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. If you humble yourself, he will exalt you. If you exalt yourself, he will humble you. Why is humility the single core issue when it comes to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16? There are six things that God hates. The seventh is an abomination and the first is a proud look. What destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? Homosexuality, no. Ezekiel says three things. Number one, she had a proud look. She was pride, proudful. She had an abundance of food and careless ease. Thus, she committed abominations in God's sight. It was pride. You guys, I'm a proudful man. I'm a prideful man. And I have to constantly bring that to the Lord. All the time. There's no quick fix to it. There's none. Do you know there's 365 days in a year? Yes. <laughs> 365 days in a year. Unless you're a Babylonian, there's 360. In which case, nobody cares because they're gone. <laughs> 365 days of the year. What, I pray one time, two, three times a year to God to fix my brokenness? No. All the time. You know why? Because I'm always prideful, and it has to be crushed, and it has to be killed. It just comes out in different ways. It comes out in different areas of my life. But every area that it comes out serves as a barrier that is movable. It serves as a barrier between me and God, but it can instantly be moved. All I got to do is humble myself and say, God, I'm sorry. I don't see. And God will open my eyes. Or I can hold it and I can build a fortress of brokenness. And then when that stone comes and falls on you, it'll grind you to powder, it says. Notice what it says. If you fall on the stone, you'll be broken to pieces. That's a good thing. Men, 
that's a good thing for you to be broken to pieces, but you don't understand, that's me being vulnerable. That's a good thing. Because what's a bad thing is if you don't do it and the stone falls on you, it will crush you to powder. Man, oh man, God help us to be broken. Break yourself on the rock. Fall on the rock. Trust that your vulnerability when you do that to people, to church, to leaders, to your wife, your husband, your kids, trust that when you fall on the rock and you humble yourself and you're broken to pieces, trust that God can take that and he can yield something beautiful out of it. Because if you don't do it and you hold on to what you got and you're not broken, then listen, unbelief is something that will make itself known eventually. It'll show itself eventually. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace with Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah, and we invite you to attend our Sunday morning gatherings. For location, sermon times, and contact information, check us out at rhutah.church. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us here at Shouts of Grace, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Shouts of Grace is a production of Key Radio.